0: Drink it in now Tuck down the toilet cornbread, cornbread, cornbread. Drink it in now. Drink it in, drink it in, drink it in, man. Uh. Detroit Kool-Aid, Detroit Kool-Aid drinkers. What's up, everybody? This is the Wednesday show here on the Detroit Kool-Aid cast. I'm your host, Derek Ocree. You can find me on Twitter, at Derek Ocree. And week one is in the books. We got a lot to talk about on this show. But before we do that, I mean, I got to introduce the, my main bro. Bro. You guys know who he is, the king of all bros, Stefan, my man, what's going on, how you doing this week? Everybody, let me kill the crickets music, let me kill the bro music, here's the thing, instead of the king of all bros, you might be the king of all no-shows, uh, Stefan, man, I, I don't know what to say, good dude. Something always comes up right before we start recording. Uh, I think he had some serious family things, or who knows, allegedly what he's got going on. But uh, no, I'm just kind of killing him off the top. Was hoping to have him on. Me and Stefan actually, uh, I got to go down his uh, his crib down uh, near Ann Arbor, and uh, we went to the Michigan game under the lights. We went to the Lions game. We had a lot to talk about here on the show, but he's got me going solo, but not a problem. We got plenty to talk about. So before we get into it, I, I just want to say, bro, what a football weekend. I mean, absolutely incredible. Um, we just had an absolute blast at the um, Michigan-Washington game, under the lights, maze out, incredible tailgate. Probably had you know, 30, 40 plus people at the tailgate, food everywhere. Um, just, just an absolute blast. I mean, hanging out, having a couple beverages, laughing, playing some cornhole, some bags, whatever you want to call it. And then, like I say, it's just great to have a night game. Probably, this is probably the best Michigan football game I've ever been to. The crowd was absolutely electric. It was fun just to watch them play bully ball all day and run it. So that that was great. The crazy part was we had so much fun at that game. And it went so late, and then we hung out after that. I mean, we were spent. That was really a great time. So, getting to the Lions game, you know, we still had a ton of fun doing that. I'll get to that here in a moment. But you guys know I'm not here to talk Michigan football necessarily, but I had to get that in. I'm here to talk Lions football. So, let me talk about a couple news items off the top. Uh, then, we're going to transition on the back half of the show into this game review. Again, I'm not going to go line by line. I'm not going to bore you with play-by-play type details. going to try to entertain you, give a little Detroit Kool-Aid of what this game was about, what I thought, things like that. So, everybody, drink it in before we get going. Drink it in man. Uh... So, I'm, I'm going to get to the game review, but I want to talk about a couple news and notes that everybody wants to hear about and is curious about right now. So, disappointing news. I mean, Mr. Okuda. Uh, Ruptured Achilles out for the year, and I mean, I think it's a big blow. I really do. This guy's young. He's picked third overall. Said he had a good camp, and I was really looking forward to seeing him. You know, I was kind of like, man, Mr. Akuda, he's going to get a bunch of reps. He's going to grow. He's going to see a lot of different players and coverage this year after missing some time last year, just being in a horrible scheme, injured, all the Reality slash er excuses that we had last year why this guy didn't play. And I'm not saying he had a great game. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we'll talk about it later, but the big play that, that killed the Lions that he was involved with, he only had one nice pass breakup that I recall. I can't say he had a tremendous game. But what I will say is you never like to see a young guy like this get injured Especially an Achilles. I mean, if Kobe Bean had trouble coming back from an Achilles, I can imagine what Mr. Okuda is going to have in regards to a recovery. It leaves the Lions extra thin at cornerback. So, I'm upset for a lot of different reasons. Not to mention that I recently got kind of a game cut 23 that I was looking to rep this season For number 23 for the Detroit Lions, I mean, we still know, regardless if I was going to rep that, I was rooting for the player, I mean, we still know this, right? Hey, listen, Ohio State sucks. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we know that's true. We also know that it was hilarious that that team down south got beat. By the Oregon Ducks in their house. I mean, you got to laugh at that. That was tremendous. Everybody, everybody's in. <laughs> I mean, I absolutely loved that they took an L that just made Saturday even a better day. But back to Jeff Okuda. I mean, to me, the Lions need to go get Quentin Dunbar back if he's good to play. I know he had some family issues. Some other things that we'll never really know about are going on. But if he's ready to play ball and they feel like they liked him enough, bring him back. Put him and A.O. on the outside. I'll get to A.O. Oh, baby. A little bit later because I got issues with him as well. But you got to not only do that. I would probably look to... You know, see what other corners and people might be out there. Because I don't know that you can just get Quentin Dunbar. And say, all right, we're good to go. I mean, it's a really thin, young group. And there's a lot of people out there that are already calling Jeff Okuda a bus. Saying he's never going to be the same. Mike Valente saying he's played his last down as a lion. I mean, listen to that clickbait type stuff if you want. Now, I do have concerns that... I mean, this player... It's going to be two years basically just wasted. And even when he has been out there, you know, he's very spotty at best in regards to making plays on the football, being able to cover people. I still love his mentality. I love his athleticism. I know Dan freaking Campbell said that he's a absolute freak, you know, that he sees in practice and athletically. You'd have to think that's gonna take a little bit of a step back in regards to like usually even after you come back from an Achilles, it's a full year even after that, so you really are are back to the semblance of what you were being able to explode, cut, trust it, all that kind of stuff. So I don't know what's gonna happen. I I don't think the team is done. You know, they're not gonna trade him, they're not gonna get rid of him. You know, pretty much just wait it out, have him recover. Tell them to focus on next year, being ready, being positive, all that kind of stuff. So it's disappointing. It's also something that happens in the game of football. You need to have next man up mentality. But you hate for a young, high draft pick like that to have that type of injury late in week one of the NFL season. It's just rough. We were hoping to avoid that one of these years the Lions will avoid injury and actually be able to compete rather than having all their top top players, top dogs go down early in the season, which we've seen over and over again here in Detroit. All right, let me get to topic number two here. Again, trying to hit it, just a couple of the hot things that are going on. So, you know, I was at the game. I'll give you my, you know, bird's eye view account here in a bit. But there's a lot of love going to Penesul. I mean, I was surprised they put him at left tackle. All reports are he played really well. Went back and watched the game again. Thought he played well. Nick Bosa thought he played well. All the different uh, PFFs and people out there thought he did real well. And so it starts this debate of now what do you do? You know, didn't really love him. His numbers weren't as good on the right side. Felt awkward. Felt mismatched where it is. He was really excited to get this opportunity at left. It's just a whole shakeup. I mean, Taylor Decker is gone for like a month or so. So you don't have to worry about this next week or the week after or probably even the week after that. But pretty soon after, you're going to have a decision to make. And I'm torn on it. I really am. I mean, Penny Sewell is 20 Years old, isn't even 21 yet. He's the youngest left tackle to ever start and, and probably play that well, to be honest. But, I mean, here's the thing with Detroit and with Lions fans. I think, and I've been known to do it as well. I mean, I'm always drinking that Detroit Kool-Aid. You guys know that. Drink it in. Drink it in, man. Uh... But... I, I'm starting to have an issue where, like, okay, Penny Sewell came out and played really well week one. I mean, it's one week. Like, this guy, you see him in the jersey. This is like not necessarily a knock, but this is something I I see when I watch the game. He his build still looks really sloppy in the uniform. Like, I want to see him now. I get his grown man strength, but look like some of those other All Pro old linemen. Where yeah, they might be three hundred and thirty plus pounds, but they're slim and trim and they're powerful and I mean he's already powerful, but you know what I mean. Like he just he doesn't look like a, a pro necessarily yet. Now he has a good feet, he can overpower you, his technique, especially on the left side, seemed to be where you want it. But I'm not putting this guy in the Hall of Fame after one game. I mean he could go the next couple weeks and struggle. He really could. And then what do you do? You know, we're starting up this conversation of what do you do with Taylor Decker? Let the guy get a couple games. Now if he if he absolutely shows out If he plays incredible football for the next four plus weeks, yeah, I'm pretty much on board with people of at that point I don't want to move the guy. And I've got to figure out what to do with Taylor Decker. Taylor Decker, you know, it hasn't been said much yet in the media or in different podcasts, but Taylor Decker's quoted like time and time again about that. He's a left tackle only, basically. That's what he said, I believe, coming out, you know, heading into the NFL. He takes a lot of pride in playing the left side. He just got paid. He's the leader of that offensive line. So if you think he's just going to come back in four weeks and accept what he would view as a demotion to the right side, I don't see it. I also don't see a few weeks when you're hurt, being able to get yourself together and be able just to go over there. He is a vet. He's a pro. So there definitely is a chance, too, where he would accept that type for the team. But... If I'm calling it right now, I think he'd be much more opposed thinking that you're just putting this young cat over there that's been doing it for four weeks. He's been here, what, four, five years now, doing it at a high level on that left side where his technique is all sharpened up, where he's used to playing, where his footwork is down. Now you're just going to say, hey, figure out the right side in a couple of weeks, bro. We're going to throw you over there. I, I would think it's unlikely to happen, but... You know, we'll see. Um, Penny Sewell is the future. Like I said, once he tightens up his body as well as um, continues to learn the NFL game, I think he can be a great player over there. He already has a great mentality in regards to You just saw the excitement from the kid, and you saw the intensity. You saw him be able to just manhandle people at times, especially a guy like Nick Bosa, who's a top rusher, even though he's a bit smaller. I mean, he gets around a lot of people and gives a lot of people fits, and Penny Sewell had a pretty good day. I think one time when I went back and watched the tape, I saw him get beat uh, for a sack or or a hit or a hurry, whatever you want to call it. And other than that, he was pretty clean, and they obviously did some damage in the run game as well. So... We'll, we'll wait and see. I think it's TBD. I did put out a poll on Twitter. Again, you guys can find me at Derek Oakery that's spelled D-E-R-E-K-O-K-R-I-E where I was like, you know, what do you guys want to do at this left tackle spot? Keep left Decker at left tackle? Keep Sewell left tackle? Put Taylor Decker at right tackle? Or trade Taylor Decker? I mean... I know that's crazy out there. I know that some of you might be thinking there's some type of conspiracy. Like, they paid him. He's a Bob Quinn, Matt Patricia guy. They got their guy. Now they want to just, like, throw this guy out with the bathwater. Like, I don't think it's a conspiracy at all. I think that it would just be a, you know, circumstance where if he's not in love with playing the right side and... If Penny Sewell is on lockdown and he feels comfortable and he's young and you know he's going to be your left tackle of the future, like, I mean, I hate to tell you people, it might be a might be a shocker. You may have to trade Taylor Decker to one of the many needy teams that need a left tackle, eat a little bit of the money that you gave them, but also free up a lot of bit a lot of money. You're not gonna. You know, win a Super Bowl this year. Let's put it that way. We still don't know what the season is going to be like. Get a great return in regards to draft picks. Like if somebody makes you a trade, you can't refuse. You have to not only consider it; you pretty much have to do it at this point. Now, I'm on record a million times over as saying I I absolutely like and love Taylor Decker as a football player. I think that he's a great person, a great leader, and a above average top. 10-12 type left tackle or tackle overall in the game of football. But I'm definitely going to trade him if the value is right and if I'm totally sold on Penny Sewell's the guy and he needs to play that left side. And if Taylor Decker's not like, hey, I can figure out the right side. Like, I just want to win, as he always says in the media. We will wait and see. So if I had to say right now, hmm, what would I – What would I even say right now? I mean, if I had to ballpark it, the safe plan would be like, let's say that Penny Sewell plays great the next few weeks. You know, I still think the safe plan is to let Taylor Decker take his spot back, not lose it due to injury, put Penny Sewell on the right side. And if Penny Sewell is just an absolute turnstile, has issues, or looks so much worse on the right side... You either make that flip or maybe at the deadline you you make a move for Taylor Decker. But I wouldn't do it just based on three games, four games, whatever it is. And I think Taylor Decker's earned that right to come back and get his spot back. And the kid is going to play the left side regardless at some point, right? But the, the ideal offensive line right now is Decker, Jonah Jackson, Ragnow, I mean, it looks like they're going with Vitae. I would probably change that up as well and either go with a younger, or better player on that, on that right guard spot. And then Penny on the right side, a right tackle. You know, that's what we set up for. That's what they practiced. That's what they were assuming was going to happen. And now it just got flipped upside down based on this finger injury Which, to me, is not going to be hard to bounce back from. I feel like he got surgery or whatever the case is, give it whatever weeks to handle, put their gloves, tape them back together, and when he gets back out there, he'd be ready to go. You know, it's not some knee, it's not a shoulder issue that could give him problems, so I think that that's what you do. You go back to status quo, and if... 58 can't play the right side after a few games, and Taylor Decker's still playing high quality football mid-season. You look to make either that trade or figure out a different solution. You know, so we will see what happens. But those are the two news and notes I want to talk off the top. And, and real quick, before I get to our commercial break, our tremendous sponsors here on the show. I mean, I got to sum up my fantasy football week one and just just one soundbite. Oh, Woo! I mean, here's the ridiculous part. I know some of you love fantasy football. People are like, man, I don't want to hear about your fantasy football teams. It's all good. But I'm in so many leagues. I'm probably in like anywhere from 20, maybe 30. It's, it's ridiculous. Dynasty, deep dynasty, you know, smaller leagues with my good buddies that we've had going for years. Um, lots of best ball drafts. I mean, there's lots going on. But literally, if I looked across the board... I won every fantasy league in week one. I think I think I might have in one L, and that was it. And that was in like a ESPN league that I did at the last second for kind of like extra draft, as well as there's a ESPN was doing some contest where if you win it, there was there was some big prizes and whatnot. But every other league, I got the W, which is crazy because if you think about it, I got I don't draft like the same players on every team. I mean, I'm dipping. I'm trying to go for value. I'm trying to play the draft board. It's like I got all these players on all these different teams. You would think they're playing against each other or, hey, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. That's normally what happens. Like, as I was just going down the list, I was just like, W, 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 w. like, all Ws, incredible. So I had a lot of fun, um, lots of comeback victories, a couple of my buddies, you know, that were in these leagues got some... Good breaks, bad breaks, but for me, everything seemed to break well, and it worked out, and it was just a really fun fantasy football week one, so I hope all you guys are enjoying fantasy football out there. Again, you can check out my articles, USA Today, Lions Wire. I think those usually drop um, Thursday morning or so. Excuse me, the fantasy football weekly, where I try to give you guys waiver wire pickups. I talk about um, the Lions' fantasy focus, who they're playing, as well as maybe give you a little look see of what I think about the game. You can see that in there. I give you just some broad strokes, talk about fantasy football, telling you to enjoy it, keep your eye on injuries, um, you know, don't always overthink it, play your studs, all that type of advice that I give to you, as well as waiver wire uh, tops at at each position. I also also give you matchups to look at so if you're not always on top of the NFL schedule you can usually check out the article and be like oh man these are like the top 6-8 games ocree has got them highlighted who I should watch, what time they're on, and a couple players from each team to check out. So definitely check out that article as well as all the other great stuff that Jeff Risden and company are doing over at USA Today Lions Wire. And everybody, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to get into this Lions-San Francisco game, give you my review, what happened, some, some little nuggets that I saw that I loved, some I didn't love. We'll get into all that right after the break The Fall Guy Only in theaters May 3rd Rated PG-13 All right, everybody This goes out to my fantasy football fans out there Now, you probably heard about Reality Sports Online The most powerful fantasy sports platform Where owners can build and manage their fantasy team Like a real NFL general manager But the question is Have you tried it? I mean, we're talking free agency, multi-year contracts, rookie drafts, multi-team trades. You can put franchise tags on guys. Uh, It's as close as you're going to get to being an NFL GM. But do you think it sounds complicated? It's not. I'm here to tell you it's the best thing about reality sports online is it's just more fun than your normal fantasy league. But it doesn't take barely any more time. After all this, are you still not sure? I mean, come on now. You can test your general manager skills by going over to Reality Sports Online, call it RSO. Please go check out realitysportsonline.com right now. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady. All right, Detroit Kool-Aid drinkers, we're back from the break. Thank you so much for listening to our sponsors. I say it every week. Thank you for hitting that subscribe button. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for sharing it with friends. We continue to grow. I'm trying to bring on guests when they actually show up, unlike, you know, the king of bros who ducked out on me again today. Bruh. I mean, come on, man. Come on, bro. Bruh. 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 But no Stefan will be back on As well as Who we got coming up We got Logan Lim Randier Coming up He had to miss a week I think uh, last month Just due to some craziness That came up And busy schedules We got my buddy Chops A.K.A. Brian Neiswanger You know Normally they say their name And then their nickname But he's literally like Chops And then A.K.A. His actual name Um, And Gosh who else We got Joey From the Bleed Podcasting Network Will be coming back on He You know got to see his bears get whooped up by uh, Matt Stafford on Sunday night. And lots going on. Lots going on here on the show, so appreciate everybody check it out. I I love doing it. Life is getting crazy hectic for me as well, but I love jumping on here talking Lions football, so thank you for listening and for dialing it in. And let's get into this ball game. So, again, real exciting first game of the year. Downtown was fun. People were everywhere first time back just so that's why the Michigan game was so hyped too it was like the first legit big event I felt like at that Michigan night game where people were out they were having a bunch of fun we weren't worried about masks um you know the stadium was packed they had everything going and same when we headed down to the Lions game I mean downtown was jumping people were everywhere enjoying themselves grilling throwing the football hanging out just an absolute great time so that felt good I mean everyone's Excited about this new Lions team. But I got to say, as the game got closer, everybody was sort of like, oh, man, they're going to get beat down. It's going to get ugly. We don't expect much. And what I expected is I just wanted to see lots of improvement. I want to see young players. I want to see exciting football. And I got to tell you, right off the bat of this game, if you go back and look at it, you know, the first time the Lions get the football, they have a really nice run on the first play of the game for them. They get the ball rolling. A couple plays to TJ Hawkinson um, gets them going down the field they end up getting in a 4th and 1 situation and unfortunately they do what the Lions have been known to do which is on 4th and 1 just like almost most all teams in the NFL for whatever reason they just run right up the middle on 4th and 1 Jamal Williams slips they end up turning it over on downs now If you just go back and think about it, they might have been able to get three, or if they get that first down, could they have even got seven? They get neither. Then the next play for the 49ers, they fumble the snap. Lions pick it up. They don't cash that in as well. They end up coming up uh, empty. I believe they had a missed field goal after that. And so that's like anywhere from 14 to 10 points that you could have been up and people would have been juiced. I mean, the the stadium was electric as they are for every Lions game to start, but they come up empty. People start doubting, you know, feeling here we go again And the San Francisco 49ers with five minutes left in the first quarter creases. um, Well, no, this wasn't the one, the DP, this was... Trey Lance coming in for a little five-yard pass to Shurfield. And this this is what annoyed me about this pass. Not only was it Trey Lance coming in and first throw, he gets a guy absolutely wide open, but it's again, it's more on the Lions. Like, Do we just, as an organization, never, ever cover people within the 10-yard line on these little pass plays that every other team draws up? We had nobody in the screen. I mean, A.O. absolutely got worked, fell down. You know, We all know Will Harris is nowhere in the picture. I've tried to support that guy for two, three years now. He's just an abomination in coverage and pretty much everywhere else as well. We'll get into him here in a bit. And it's just an easy touchdown. Just so frustrating to watch that we didn't even put up a, a fight on this play when you go back and watch it. But sure enough, the Lions, with a nice little answer, they come down. They put together a 13-play eighty-two yard drive, seven twelve off the clock, and a pay dirt to TJ. Hawkinson. I mean, Hawkinson was unguardable early, late in the middle. He really played great football. This was a um, just a great drive by the Lions, Jared Goff, everybody involved and a really nice payoff there um, down with a just a, a sweet route and a sweet catch and just going at the corner of the end zone. So crowd was hype. I mean, 7-7 at this point, we're already into, you know, the early portion of the second quarter. So people are still feeling good. It's just you did miss those opportunities earlier, there's no question. And I don't remember if it was in those first—I think it was in that first drive or two where I had a real problem when I went back and watched it on film of St. Brown actually toasted his man off the line, got open on the left sideline, had one, maybe two steps on his guy. Jared Goff, he he threw it too hard, he threw it way out of bounds, and to me it looked like an easy NFL throw. You know, it was like those times where Matt Stafford put his hands on his helmet. Like, all you got to do is layer this ball in like almost every other NFL quarterback does. And that's an easy walk-in touchdown for the rookie to start the year. And instead, he burned it out of bounds, high and too hard. And that was really frustrating to watch back. I watched it back two, three times. And I was like, that's a throw you have to make. So, after the Lions tied it up, I mean, the San Francisco 49ers, they they put a really quick drive together. Four plays, 78 yards, two minutes uh, and change off the clock, and Elijah Mitchell. I mean, an under the radar rookie who I um, had in some very deep leagues, but of course didn't start him. But he's in now because Mostert went down early. A 38 yard touchdown where he's barely even touched. I mean, just sweet play over to the right side, I believe it was, and he just waltzed into the end zone from from 38 yards out. You cannot have that. You got to play tougher football. Gap sound all that type of thing to be able to, to lock something like that up. The Lions, you know, halfway through the second quarter, get a 49-yard field goal from the kicker, which to me, it, you know, it obviously did miss one early, but Cyber getting a 49-yarder and it had quite a bit of leg on it, that, that was a nice little answer. You know, got it back to 14-10, and you, you still had life at this point, feeling good. Now, this is where it gets ugly. I mean, hasty. Gets a three-yard touchdown. Again, who? Yeah, exactly. Jemichael Hasty uh, for the 49ers. Again, probably fifth plus, sixth maybe on their depth chart at running back when it's all said and done. He he gets a three-yard score. That was a big drive, seven plays, 75 yards. And, and this was the killer to me uh, in, in the game overall, to be honest, let alone right now in the ballgame. Minute 10 left, the Lions try to get aggressive and go down the field. They, they end up, you know, Jared Goff ends up getting pressure, kind of gets his arm hit. Didn't matter, though. I mean, you go back and watch it. There, there was three guys around TJ Hawkinson, and this ball wasn't going to get through no matter if he was completely clean. He's going to be picked off anyway by one of those three guys. But his arm gets hit, taken by Drake. Dre Greenlaw, the linebacker, 39-yard pick six to make it 28-10, with only a minute or so left in that second quarter. And then the Lions, I mean, gosh, they end up giving it up again before the quarter's over. And then another 40-yard field goal by, by the by the kicker to make it 31 to 10 at halftime. I mean, come on, man. That's that's just embarrassing. So with a minute ten left, you could have went in the locker room, twenty-eight ten, instead you get aggressive. And no, you could've went in twenty-one to ten. And instead it ends up being thirty-one ten you give up 10 points in a minute of clock time that's just inexcusable absolutely but the pick six was the huge play in my opinion it swung the game it swung the crowd it took all the air out of everything now we're not feeling good at 21-10 either but that's 10 points you go get a stop you maybe get some points and it's a one touchdown game in the third quarter instead the you know the San Francisco 49ers come out and uh, early kind of mid third quarter or whatever the, the other backbreaker happens. It's, it's, you know, 31-10 still, just back and forth, nothing really going on. The Lions dial up a pressure. I believe it was third down, deep in their end. And Garoppolo throws up this football and it gets you know he gets hit sort of so it's a wobbler i'm am yelling out turn around like pick this off it's it's on mr okuda he never turns uh, debo samuel finds the football and then here's the sad part too you go back and watch it will harris i don't know if he's trying to play a carom or what he's doing but this ball's a wobbler and will harris runs like He runs past the play again. He runs kind of like to the very sideline. So all Debo does is catch the ball. Okuda falls down. And then Debo just runs away from everyone. I mean, Will Harris is way out of the play at that point. Absolutely loses his footing, his his angle on him, whatever it was. But Debo just ran away from Will Harris. Like he was stuck in mud. So that's a 70. What was that? It was a 79-yard touchdown to make it 38-10. So at that point, I mean, people are leaving the stadium. It's just, you know, here we go again. I'm sitting there frustrated because, I mean, 38-10 is embarrassing. I know a lot of people will tell you, oh, they saw a lot of fight and a lot of difference in this, whatever. At 38-10, I'm sitting there embarrassed by our defense. Offense hasn't done much except the T.J. Hawks touchdown. You know, a little bit of a run game. Yeah, we get it. But nothing else going very well for this team at this point. I mean, my buddy, the king of all bros, who's sitting there, is like, Hey, hey, bro. Bro. Like, you want to go, bro? Bro. And I'm like, bro. bro. We can't go. We got to stay. We got to hang in there with the team. Bro. And sure enough, the Lions come back just absolutely sweet, Screen pass. How many times have I been calling for this on the show? Slip screen to DeAndre Swizzle, and he goes 43 yards for a touchdown. But here's the thing I love the most about this play. It was a great little play design, great throw by Jared Goff. How many times do we kind of see Matt Stafford both hit the play like this but also try to go sidearm, try to do something a little nonchalant and miss a play like this? Jared Goff put this perfectly, if you go back and watch it, Swift, Kind of half-juggles it, but he makes a, a catch. And what I love about Swift is he gets up to speed. There's something about him. I was trying to describe it to, to a bro there at the game. I was like, Stefan, man, DeAndre Swift, Like, there's something about him where he runs. He, he's got a juice about him, but he also runs sort of like under his pads, and he also can can both cut and Maneuver at full speed. And sure enough, you go back and watch it on this play, like he gets rolling up to speed, but he just eyes up the safety, I believe it was, and just gives him a half okey-doke to the outside. And then just almost like a crossover. I think that's how they described it on the, uh, on the, you know commentary just crossed him up where the dude kind of got off just a little bit and Swift just ran by him. I mean, that was awesome. So, at that point, you know, 38-17, you know, a couple score a game. You know, I'm like, nah, man, we're hanging. We we got to see what happens here." But a lot of clock time went off, you know, the once the 49ers with about, you know, I think about 9 minutes or so end up getting a field goal again. Uh, it's 41-17. You know, Stefan looks over at me and again he's like, Come on, bro. Bro. Like, and at that point I was kind of like, Man, there's no way you're going to win a game at 41 17. So I was like, You know, I, I think this is the only time I've left. There's a couple times I left early at a game. A few years ago, probably, well, probably more than a few years ago now. I'd say probably six, seven years ago. They played the Saints. Late in the year, my buddy Jay Will went. I think it was Jay Will's first ever Lions game, real game that he was at with me. We were hanging. But the Saints just put it on us. I mean, I want to say it was, you know, 30 or 40 zip before you knew it. And I was just like, man, let's just go. So we went and, and hung out at a bar, got some grub, had some fun other than watch the Lions get beat down. That was the only time I can remember leaving a regular season game early pretty much. But the other time is when I quit on the Lions on that uh, Cowboy game where Matt Stafford had the crazy comeback. I took a shower or something. I came out and the Lions were somehow tied up. And then Matt Stafford had that drive and the fake spike where he jumped in, which was incredible. So, yeah, I'm going to admit it. Detroit Kool-Aid drinkers don't hate me a ton for it. We did leave early, as did most other people. I mean... I I know it's 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 not a good move. I mean, you you may call it a fail for me. That's okay. <laughs> Like, I I just felt like that was my mood with the Lions at that point. I was like, really, you're getting beat down 41-17, mid, late fourth quarter, whatever it is. I'm like, let's get out of here. We beat the traffic, go home. I wanted to watch some of the other NFL games get caught up on my fantasy team, as well as just, you know, we'll see what they got next week. I've seen enough at this point. So we end up bolting out of there, you know, keeping an eye on it as we're walking. Like, nothing's really happening as we head around the stadium or whatever to head out the front door and, you know, jump in the car. Head out. You know, still nothing really going on. Keeping an eye on it on the radio or whatever. And then, sure enough, we're end up grabbing some grub uh, before we go back to watch the preset Next thing you know, um, touchdown. Oh, nice. And a little, little touchdown for Jay Swaggy getting in the end zone. That's cool. Next thing you know, um, you know, they get the football back I, on the onside kick, which when I watch that back on tape, probably the best onside kick I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it took like three, four regular bounces and then just absolutely just decapitates, you know, George Kittle hitting him right in the face mask. I mean, that was unbelievable. Lions get on it. They go ahead and cash in another touchdown to Quintes Cephas with a nice catch as well as a beautiful toe tap on the two-point. I mean, unbelievable that it's 41-33 at this point. But then, I mean, just... Uh, you know, absolutely air let out of the room. Next onside kick. It's an absolute horrible onside kick. Right to the guy, just scoops it up. It didn't, never took a bounce. It never was a challenge. It was just, he might as well just hand it to the other team, right? So at that point, I got to assume everybody left. Sure enough, we're sitting there still listening to it. The 49ers end up getting a first down. All they gotta do is go to the ground. Debo Samuel wants to pad his stats or something. And Big Trey Flowers, the eighteen million dollar man, strips this ball out, and the place, I mean, he's going crazy. We're going crazy, thinking, Oh my gosh, they got the football back with a minute left and some I think one or two timeouts, whatever it was. And then they start making plays. The TJ Hawkinson, They end up throwing the ball. I believe uh, either Raymond had an incredible back shoulder at this point. Or, you know, St. Brown had a few plays here late in the game. Trinity Benson was making plays. So we almost missed probably the greatest, most unbelievable comeback of all time. Because, again, when I watched it back on film as well, it was like 41-17 with two minutes left. <laughs> I mean, I think they were under the two-minute warning, and we hadn't even started getting any of these points. That's what makes it so ridiculous. It's not like, oh, right after they went 41-17, we got a touchdown. No, they they did not do anything until, like, under the two-minute warning when they got the first score, and then they got the second score, and then they got the ball back. And, you know, Jared Goff made a few plays, then obviously kind of got crumpled under you know, pressure as well as just missed a few throws here and there, a little dink and dunk all day from him. And then on the fourth down play, it was just disconcerting to see him just sort of chuck it out to the left side where nobody was there. I mean, everybody knows that you want to run a play where if all hell breaks loose, you can at least throw it in the end zone and maybe get a tip ball or something kooky happens, right? But to just stand there and then just throw it out to nobody at the left sideline was Disappointing, But, I mean, I'm not saying he was scared. I'm not saying that it was a wimpy play necessarily. It was just sort of like, why, why don't you have something drawn up to go to the end zone and give yourself some type of chance at that point based on the clock, what, 10 seconds, 12 seconds, whatever was left when I watched it back. But, you know, like I said, I would have kicked myself big time had they won it because I did skate out. I'm not quitting on my team, don't get me wrong. It was more frustration. It was just like, ugh. You know, I just can't take this as well as we wanted to get back and enjoy week one of the football season. It is the toughest one for me. I always go usually the week one, but I always hate it because I'm missing out on fantasy football, football across the league, kicking off, you know, all the fun that is, you know, NFL week with no bye weeks and all that good stuff. So, you know, they didn't win. They came back. They showed fight. But when I watched it back, to be honest, I still felt like that forty-one seventeen feeling. The end was fun, don't get me wrong, but I remember just a lot of five-yard passes over the middle, getting cheap yards from Jared Goff. I felt like a lot of who-cares defense from San Francisco. I felt that they did make some nice plays. I, I do feel like Quinta Sivas needs to get some more run as maybe the WR two or just get him out there a little bit more. St. Brown, I think, will come into his own. Cleve Raymond, I'm kind of beaten up on because I don't really love he never done anything in the league yet. We're just penciling him in as this number two receiver, but he made a couple plays. They're gonna have to find ways to get him open and do some different things. But overall, the running game was better. TJ Hawkinson really balled out, played great, eight catches, 97 yards, and a tug. And, I mean, yeah, you can leave that game saying fight and saying you liked it or they had a chance, but they also were getting their ass kicked 41-17 with two minutes left, basically, before they went on this miraculous turn. So, I don't think it's a game to hang your hat on by any means. I do think that you can... Um, say kind of like Jared Goff said like we're gonna have to see what we have over the first few weeks of the season you know they have a very tough schedule but if they can kind of make some adjustments get over some of these injury issues and give some of these other tough teams a battle then we we will have a fighting team if they go get just decapitated in Green Bay and against Baltimore and you know the other tough teams coming up on their schedule then yeah, we're going to know that our defense still needs a ton of work. The offense can't get by with these no-name receivers. But So I'm not I'm not putting Penny Sewell in the Hall of Fame after week one. I'm not saying the Lions are a defensive sieve after week one. I'm not saying that our running game is fixed after week one. I'm not saying Jared Goss checked down Charlie after week one. And I'm also not walking away saying, man, this team just bad. Because I didn't see that in person or even based on the comeback. I just saw, you know, a team getting sliced and diced, making a few plays here or there on offense, still needing to get pressure on the quarterback and taking an L in week one that could have looked real ugly and instead gave you some, you know, some Detroit Kool-Aid at the end to make you feel like, hey, let's see what they got in week two. Drink it in, man. So, everybody, I love to come on here and whoop it up. That's what I saw. That's how I feel. I'm still excited this next week. I'm going to get to chill at the DTO scouting office here at my place. I'll be on Twitter. I'm going to be checking my teams. I'm going to be wearing my Lions jersey. I'm going to be fired up for this ball game. But we'll see what they have on Monday Night Football. So, I'm excited to see it. And the question is kind of now what? Now what for the Lions? Well, what's next? Now what is that smug, arrogant, pompous, entitled, just aloof piece of you-know-what in Green Bay, the old mozzarella sticks, and number 12, everybody's most hated hippie, Aaron Rodgers. I can't wait to talk about it on Friday. I can't wait to break it down. And I hope that we go into their house and break them down and actually beat them up and actually play good on both sides of football and come away with this W. But everybody, we'll talk about it all on Friday right here on the Detroit Kool-Aid cast. Take care, everybody. We're out. Drink it in, man. Uh... Cornbread! 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 Pack the bag. by the Lions. Drink it in, man.